Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. You're the mom, the maid, the keeper of the cookies. You do it all and you look good doing it. It's parenthood on a mother level. Here's your host, Denise Hanitka. Hey, everybody. It's Denise, and this is On a Mother Level. Thank you so much for tuning in and giving us a listen. This is a new episode today that was inspired by a Quad City mom who was collecting money so that she could buy books featuring diverse characters and different perspectives and stories that we could stock the Quad City school libraries with. So her um, mission I thought was very cool and we did some stories about it here on um, WQAD News 8. Uh, But I decided to take this interview in a different direction. So I got hooked up with a anchor reporter who lives out in Sacramento, California. And her little side hustle is that she is a children's book author. And she writes bilingual children's books. She writes them in English and in Spanish. And they are meant to be read really in both languages. Even if you don't speak Spanish, you can kind of um, introduce your children to the Spanish words and their English counterparts. And so in this episode, I am talking to this mom of two, mom of two boys and author. And I think... The best takeaway from it is her lesson that you need to figure out what it is that you're passionate about and you need to spend at least one hour a day working towards that. And I'll be honest, I am in a rut with my podcast right now. And I think the reason is that getting together with guests is so much harder to do right now and my equipment I don't have access to. So I have these dinky little microphones and I don't like phone interviews because the audio isn't the best. And over the phone, you just don't have the same connection as you do with people in person. So I feel a little stuck. And this podcast is so important to me and I love it so much and I got great feedback. And then when this quarantine started, I feel like people stopped listening to podcasts as often because we're not driving as much. We're not doing our same normal routine, but we're now in five months of this and the show must go on and I'm looking for inspiration. I'm looking for a kick in the pants and I need to figure out a way to bring back the conversations and stories and topics that I know mean a lot to you and mean a lot to me and that showcase the women in this community. So look forward to that because I am going to start taking um, Leticia's advice, as you will hear in just a little bit, and we're going to start, we're going to start cranking the wheels again here on this podcast. And I guess this is me saying it out loud so that you hear it and then I have to live up to it and I got to figure out some new equipment, whatever, this is not your problem, but okay, we'll get to it. 
Um, a short little update on life over here at my house. So yes, I am still working from home, which is why I don't have access to any of my equipment, which is a major pain. Um, we are working from home for the foreseeable. So one change that we've made is I now have a laptop that I can move around the house, which is handy, so I'm not stuck in the guest room. So I'm now downstairs at the dining room table, which feels like a better workspace, and I don't feel as like stuffed up in this stupid upstairs bedroom, so that's kind of cool. Um, I've reached a parenting milestone in which my three-year-old has told me for the very first time that I have screwed up his entire life, which, I mean, yes, clearly he's right about that. But um, it was funny because what he was talking about specifically is when I drive him to daycare in the morning, I sometimes will take him just a little bit of a detour because there is a dinosaur skeleton out in someone's yard that's just made out of metal and it's just, you know, among the shrubs and, and it's kind of cute. And so we spotted it one day. And so now every now and then he wants to go and visit the dinosaur bones. So he asked me the other day, can we please go see the dinosaur bones? And I said, yeah, sure. So we're driving there. And you know, when you're just driving and you're just totally in the zone and thinking about other nonsense. And so I took the different way to the dinosaur bones, but I went way too fast and never stopped past them. And I said, oh my gosh, Abram, I just passed the dinosaur bones. I'm so sorry. I went too fast. And he says, oh mama, that's all right. You know, we'll go see him again next time. So the next day I said, Abram, you know, I'm going to take you past the dinosaur bones to make up for yesterday. You know, mama is so sorry she went too fast, you know, and I always like to acknowledge like that, you know, sometimes parents can make mistakes too. So I said, you know, mama, sorry, mama screwed up. And he goes, yeah, mama, you screwed up my whole life, which, you know, I don't know where he heard that and he's not wrong. But I had a laugh about it. And I guess we're also really going to have to start being thoughtful about the things that we say in front of him. Because um, today he came marching up to me with some refrigerator magnets that um, Everett had pulled off of the fridge. And he said, Mom, Pongi, which is his little nickname, Pongi is a terrorist. And you know what? <laughs> He's heard us call his little brother a terrorist, I guess, enough times. Um, terrorist, i.e. just someone who destroys our home. Um, <laughs> so, so he's heard us say that enough times that he apparently, um, you know, he's sticking with it. And again, he's not wrong. So, we'll call me. Also new in my life, if I can offer you a suggestion, selling sun, selling sunset on Netflix is wonderful programming and I'm not one of those people that loves HGTV because I feel like watching home shows just makes me feel like I'm living in squalor. But this is a real estate type show that's on Netflix. It's a Netflix, like whatever, only series. And it's about some realtors in, is it Los Angeles? Okay. Uh, it's about some realtors and they're all very attractive people and they work with these um with these two twin brothers who have their own like brokerage firm huh. i guess and so yes they're like running around selling these gorgeous 40 bazillion dollar homes but the show i feel like is more about their interpersonal lives 
And I really like it because, yeah, there's some drama between the women, but for the most part, I feel like they're really supportive of one another and how they're working hard to get their listings and real estate words and whatever. Um, so there is, there's two seasons out on Netflix right now, and there's another coming out on Friday, the, I guess that would be the 7th. So if you're looking for new programming, something that is a super easy watch and um, you kind of like pretty things and pretty people, then you will enjoy watching Selling Sunset on Netflix. So that is my shout out for um, entertainment right now. Um, that's all from me for this week. So I am going to introduce my guest. Her name is Leticia Ordaz. She is um, a news anchor and reporter out in Sacramento. She talks about some of the challenges she has been through with homeschooling her kids and getting ready to do the same once again um, when the school year starts for her. And on top of that, she is a working mom and she is a children's book author. And the message that I really like is... Whatever your goal is, here's how, um, here's kind of the template for, for achieving it. And she's been able to do amazing things in a very short period of time. And you'll also be introduced to some very cool um, books of hers. And my boys really love her first book that is out. And she has another coming out this fall. You're going to hear all about that in this episode starting right now. Here's our guest, Leticia Ordaz. Leticia Ordaz is joining me on the podcast today. Thanks so much for being here on this call. And Denise, thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Well, so you are an anchor reporter for KCRA out in Sacramento. You've been there for many years now, yes? Yes, I have been here for 16 years, and time has just flown by. Oh, fantastic. It's cool to find a home station and stay put there. It really is, especially because my family is from the Sacramento area, so I okay. grew up with ACRA. Okay, and tell me a little bit about your family. Yes, so my parents are from Gaul, and they immigrated from Mexico. I was raised in Gaul, a really small town in Sacramento County, 20,000 people, and I always watched the news growing up and always yeah. dreamed of being that girl on TV, so... It's really cool to be able to work in my hometown and represent my hometown. Absolutely. What's um, interesting is, you know, when you um, when you work at stations, uh, we have these online bios where we have all sorts of information about us. And so one thing that stood out to me that I learned from your bio, and maybe someone has brought this to your attention before, but there was a little slideshow where you talk about some things you don't know about me. And one of them said, and it seemed like it was written in maybe 2014, it said, if I had time to do a side job, it would be writing bilingual children's books. Well, here we are, six years <laughs> later, and you have found the time to live out that dream. And um, you're now on which book? How many have you done? So I'm working on my third book now. So far, one has been released, The Adventures of Mr. McCaw. It's a bilingual okay. book. And in the fall, That Girl on TV Could Be Me. You can probably relate to that one, The Journey of a Latino News Anchor. So it's a children's autobiography that comes out in the fall. That is so cool because in theory, 
you know, you would have had less time now to work on these things and to make this dream happen. So what, what gave you that push to, to get into writing children's books? Yes, well, my children inspired me. Definitely, I never thought I would have the time, but I have forced myself every day to dedicate at least an hour to my craft. And it's so important for me because at Becoming a Mom, you know, we want to expose our children to books. And I started reading to my kids when they were in my womb eight years ago. And yeah. I wasn't finding a lot of diverse or bilingual books. So I would end up translating every single book that I read to my kids. And so when they were born and, you know, we would read every night, they never knew the difference. They just assumed that every book out there was bilingual. Yeah. From the Spanish language. So that really motivated me. Why not create our own stories? And then something happened to us in Cabo San Lucas. We were on a really fun adventure. Hurricane Bud was approaching, and that inspired the adventures of Mr. McCaw. Okay. I was going to say, where, like, where do you begin writing? I mean, you know, both of you and I write for a living, and so you, you sit there, you've got this blank page in front of you. What, what's the trick? I, I imagine there's quite a bit of difference between writing for broadcast and writing for a children's book. Oh, yes. It is a lot of work. You know, when we turn stories, sometimes it airs that day. Within right. Within an hour, it's a quick turnaround. But with a book, what I found out is that it's taken me a good 18 months to get it out into the world. So it's a lot of writing and rewriting and rewriting and just making it perfect, having a lot of editors review it just to make sure that it has that extra magic. Because, of course, we think our book is fabulous, but then are other people going to agree? So there's a lot of critiquing and reviewing. But this one was unique because as Hurricane Bud was approaching and this little adventure happened to us with our magical kite, my kids believe their kite is magical, <laughs> so I decided to write about it because we really do own a uh, Mr. McCaw kite. And when that hurricane was approaching, our kite was swept away and a village there came together. Everyone dropped what they were doing. It, they stopped putting sandbags around the resort. So they stopped boarding up the windows to help two little boys who had lost their kite. So when that was all said and done, we were stuck in a hotel room. We were stuck in the children's center and could not go anywhere. Alarms were going off everywhere. And I told my husband, I'm just going to get it in writing. I grabbed a scratch paper from the kids' area. I grabbed some colors. My husband started playing with the kids. And there I drafted The Adventures of Mr. McCaw. No kidding. Yes. <laughs> so how much of that first little version made it into the final? How did it evolve? Yes, a lot of it did make it in because it was based on the story that really happened to us. But then I added a lot of magic to go with the books because I really want children to have that imagination factor uh, with the book. So yes, it was really inspired um, by some of the characters that are in Mexico that really live there. Tomas, he is the mayor who saved our kite. He climbed up a big palm tree. And he is featured in the book as well. So just sprinkled a lot of magic, but the original form, it really did hold its purpose. I didn't want to change that because it was a legit story. This really happened right. to my family. But, yes, from there it was a whole lot of work. It wasn't just like, here's my little scratch paper. What do I do with it now? But what I did was I set a goal for myself. That was in June when I wrote it uh, two years ago. And then I told myself, come January, that's going to be my New Year's resolution. I am going to send out my manuscript, and I'm going to get my book published. So I, I wrote it down on paper, and then soon that became my goal every single day when I looked at that. I said, this is something that's not going to slip away this time. 
Oh, I love that idea. You could do that with pretty much any goal that you have in mind. Oh, for sure. You don't have to want to write a children's book, but I feel like if you put it in writing, it becomes your new reality. You can almost envision it. Like I envisioned having children reading this book and that Yeah. Well, you said one challenge with reading books to your boys is that, you know, it was hard to find bilingual ones. But I'm sure you know from reading children's books, there's a lot of really, really bad children's books out there where your your boy <laughs> hands it to you and you're like, no, not this one again. <laughs> yes, isn't that the case? And then you're wondering, wait, I could have written that better. Like, don't you pick up some books and you're like, that was it? I could write yeah, come on. <laughs> Give me more. Yes, definitely. But after putting this book out into this world, the pride that I had from seeing my own children, because I ended up making them characters in the book, uh, my children, their names are really Bronx and Maxton, and they are the two little heroes in the book. Uh, they are Latino children seeing themselves in a book for the first time. And what's unique about that is after doing some research and writing my book, I learned that uh, only 5% of all the children's books published in the country have Latino characters featured as a main character. So that wow. really blew my mind. I actually contacted the university, the Cooperative Children's Book Center, and said, this can't be true. Is this really true? Break down the numbers. And they came back and said, sadly, that is true. Children of color do not really see themselves in books as main characters. Not only that, but... They told me, lady, you are one of 5% authors in the country who are Latino. So diversity is definitely lacking out there in the publishing world. And that, yeah. really, that really inspired me even more to keep going with it, even though it's a lot of work. Why do you think it's important for kids, and maybe your boys in particular, to identify and see themselves in these book characters? What do you think the benefit is? I just think it gets them involved in reading. It makes them want to take up the book in the first place. And it does something for their self-esteem to see themselves in a book and to say, that kid looks like me. That kid is me. And before my book launched when the pandemic began, but a couple weeks before, I was already invited to school to go read it. So oh, wow. I ended up going into three different and I can tell you that um, from reading to diverse children that every time I opened up the book and they saw like a brown character they started screaming one girl said that looks like me wow and, like, and that for me it was like such a touching moment I almost dropped a tear but I didn't want to because <laughs> just the impact of it because I knew that that's how my children felt but then to go out into society and to see that other children were seeing themselves in my book it blew my mind it was just this needs to happen. All children uh, need to see themselves in books. And it's also relatable to children who aren't Latino because what an enriching world. If you have books that are diverse in your home, of, in your, of another culture, to just experience it and to see that everyone is the same. Every culture, every language is beautiful. I think it would make children and the world more inclusive. Definitely. So obviously the story is hugely important to a children's book, but also what really brings it life is the pictures. How did you go about finding an illustrator and how did you bring how did you bring the pictures to your words? Definitely. I interviewed a lot of illustrators uh, when I first got started with this journey and I ended up coming across Yana Popova on the internet and she had a beautiful beach picture on the internet, it was this mom with a bun on the beach, 
And I just envisioned that character being me. And I had to reach out to her, and, and I told her the idea, and, and we just connected, and I saw more of her art, and I sent her real pictures. We had real pictures of our experience, right? Our magical kite sure. up getting stuck in the palm tree. So I gave her all of the documentation of the pictures I took, but she worked her magic and really brought the colors out of Mexico. When you think of Mexico, you think of those bright dresses, the red, the blues, the pinks and the purples. And she just made this book pop. It's like she really researched her subject. She used my pictures. And she blew me away with the illustrations that she came back with. What was the reaction of your boys when they saw how, how the pictures reflected your story and your adventure? It is so wonderful. They were actually being picky about their characters, and my little one was <laughs> my little one was, was saying, can she make me a little taller? <laughs> He's a tiny little guy. At the time that the story happened, he was four years old, so he wanted to be as tall as his big brother in the book. Aww. He was a little, little. It was, it was the most adorable thing. But they were wearing the exact same clothing that they own. So for them, that was so magical. They're like, I really own that shirt. Those are my <laughs> So I think that they were just so blown away by it all. Oh, that's so they, sweet. They love the characters besides uh, my little one wanting to be a little bit taller. <laughs> <laughs> and so um, take me then into your second book, the one that comes out this fall. It's called That Girl on TV Could Be Me. And so if, um, if your boys star in Mr. McCaw, are you the star of, of the second book? <laughs> was actually, yes, I, I would say I am the role model behind the book, but my children are also in this book because it really is based on my life. That okay. little girl on TV could be me, and it starts out with a little girl who grew up in Galt, California, and I really was addicted to the news growing up. And I vividly recall when I was five years old, I told my mom as I was watching a beautiful newscaster with blonde hair on the news, I I said to my mom in Spanish, why doesn't anyone on TV look like me? I really did say that at five years yeah. old. And so my mom turned around and looked at me as she was making tortillas in the kitchen. She makes the best flour tortillas, by the way. I love that. Oh, one. gosh, that sounds amazing. So she told me, you have to go to school. You have to go to a college. And one day, you too could be that girl on TV. So that really inspired a movement. And... I wanted to get my story in writing. I'm working with a separate publisher on this one. And he asked me, this publisher, a median in San Francisco, uh, came to me and said, can we bring your story to life? Oh, wow. We want children to be inspired by your story. I'm the first in my family to go to college. I come from a small town. Um, obviously, in this day and age of the country, there is a, a big debate with immigration and immigrants. So he just wanted to feature someone who was doing something positive. And I wanted to be able to encourage girls uh, to achieve their dreams. And as you know, it's not about being on TV. We have the fun job of getting to give people a voice. We're voice connectors. We, uh, we get to tell stories and really get to serve our community. So I wanted to get the message out there that, yes, it appears that it's all glitz and glamour, but you know how hard we work. So right. I wanted to share the story that you really are going to have to work hard for it. And it's funny. It's sprinkled with a lot of the fun stories, um, 
small markets, like uh, climbing our way through the hoop, <laughs> making, making minimum wage when we start out. Because everyone, when you go into a classroom, they said, well, how much do you get paid? How much do you start making? And then when I told them that, you know, I started making $8 an hour in my first job in Elko, Nevada, they just about fall out of their chairs. Right. They, they can't believe it. It really is a passion for this business because I don't think it's for the faint of heart. And as you know, nobody really joins this business to make money. We do it because we love what we do and we love giving people a voice. Right, right. So did the writing process change this time around now that you got one book under your belt? How, how did it evolve for you? Yes, it became much easier just because I knew what to do and I know I had to do so much research for my first book. And now I knew that a storybook is 32 pages, right? Every, you know, just like a story in the news is a minute 30 for a package, what we call a right. story search, I now knew kind of the formula that I needed to have it 32 pages, that it was going to be 16 spreads of illustrations. And uh, my publisher hired an amazing illustrator, Juan Calle, and he also brought my story to life with real-life pictures. I delivered pictures of my family growing up, and I can tell you that when I showed my parents the draft of this, they st both started crying. It was, it was just surreal. Oh, wow. It was surreal to be able to see... Um, they never imagined in a million years that neither I or them would be featured in a book. So it's, it's, it's really cool to see. It's kind of a tribute to them, to all of their hard work. They worked in the fields. They had a really hard life. They immigrated to this country to give us a better life. So to see their story shared in a positive light and to see what kind of inspiration they had on me uh, just really blew their mind as well. Absolutely. It sounds like you have such a passion for this, and you've really gotten bit by this bug right now. <laughs> yes. In fact, so much so that I started my own publishing house. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> and you yes. talk about not having time before to even start a book, and now we have our own publishing house. This is amazing. Yeah, well, what happened was my very first book, Mr. McCaw, I had – I told myself I'm going to be published by one of the top five publishers in the country. That was my goal. And I sent it out to a number of publishers, and I was almost getting ready to score a, a publishing deal with a really big publisher, but they didn't want it to be in Spanish as well. They thought that it should only be in English. So I was set on the bilingual factor because for me, teaching my kids a second language was very important, and I wanted to give that gift to other kids as well. Sure, sure. So that was a deal breaker for me, and after having deep conversations with my husband, he said, don't get discouraged, start your own publishing house. So, <laughs> so he really kicked me in the butt and said, do this, girl, I've got your back, and you know, I'll take the kids, and, and you do what you have to do on those days that you're working on this project. So I started Cielito Lindo Books, and uh, I'm only going to publish books. <laughs> bilingual mission and that feature diverse characters and and that's wow. how I published Mr. McCaw. So tell me um, as a mom who does not speak Spanish um, I do have some bilingual books in the house that we've gotten from here or there what do you think is the best way for me to incorporate the bilingual nature of some of these stories you know when 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 my kids don't have any other background in it do you have any ideas Yes, I really feel like Spanish is easier to read than you might think because it's exactly, the letters are exactly how they sound. Like, right. like you know, 
it's, I think it's easier to read than, than some people think, and I think some people are intimidated by it. But what's so awesome about this is it's not just a Spanish book, right, where you're like left wondering, like, what did, what did they say? So every page is completely translated. It's not like a Spanglish book or anything like that where just one word is sprinkled in between. It's the exact translation. So it starts with English. So you know what you just read, right? It's in English. Okay. And then you go beneath it, and you can start trying to sound out some of those words, like, one of the words, mommy, I mean, you would know that that's the mom. And you can see in English above what the words are saying. So I feel like if your kids are a really young age, and you can even expose them to a few words, like kite is papalote. And how awesome for your kids to be able to say such a big word like that. Definitely, definitely. Even if they don't get to read the entire story and they're learning, I mean, each day just tackling a page at a time, and you don't always have to read the Spanish part, but I feel like it's fun to compare and to be able to, to learn some of the words. I think you'd be surprised that kids can really pick up a lot, and they might pick well, it up faster than we can. Yeah, their ears, I feel like, are just so open to new sounds and ideas. And, and um, yeah, it's just it's cool to expose them to anything that you can. And I've been reading kids, and I, some of them have such an awesome accent. Like some of them don't speak a word of Spanish, but when you start talking to them and reading and they start reading the story back to you, like, you know, when they say verde, green, like it just comes out like they roll, <laughs> roll their R's and everything. It's just, <laughs> I think that it's so important for parents not to be intimidated and just to start baby steps. I mean, a lot of uh, schools do have immersion programs and things like that. But if you pick up this book, the stories are amazing. That's the thing about it. I didn't want it to just be one or two words where it was going to be a book that was very simple and very baby-like. Mm -hmm. I wanted it to be a magical story so kids can see themselves in the book but also be like, I want to read that again. Mommy, read that to me again. Um, and I'm hearing that from parents. They're contacting me and saying, I love your book and all, but I've already read it 20 times today. <laughs> And I can relate to that. You know, my kids have those books, too, where they're like, it's over and over and over. Well, our home libraries are about to be even more important because so many people are going to either be doing full online at home or they're going to be doing some hybrid. Um, what have you learned? Any tips you can pass along to, um, to families who are going to be spending another potential semester homeschooling their kids? What's worked for you? Yes, it was a reality for me a couple of months ago, and it started in March when the pandemic hit. I'm a full-time mom, as many moms out there are, and it's already a full-time job just to be at home, right? So then right. you feel like you have two full-time jobs, or maybe three, because you're also the cook and the cleaner <laughs> and everything else. But I think just trying to find that balance, uh, I would get home. I mean, I wake up at 2 in the morning. I get home around 12.30 from work. Um, my husband is here in the morning with the kids, and then I take over as homeschool teacher as well. And our schools are amazing. They did such a good job of laying out the curriculum step by step by step by step. So it was just having to relearn some of the subjects and to not show our children that we're getting overwhelmed because I know a lot of people and a lot of moms were stressed out and talking about, I need a glass of wine after homeschooling. This was right. Crazy. And I think we all just need to take it one step at a time and and not show our kids that we're frustrated because I think that really, then it makes kind of schooling a drag for them as well. But if we sure. just take those breaks, that's what I found out. Okay, let's run outside for recess, kids. Let's do jumping jacks. Let's ride our bikes up and down the street and then come back. 
don't try to do it all at once. Because I know my son, I have one son who's eight years old, and he wants to just plow right through it, and he's okay not to break. Mm-hmm. But I said, no, 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 we need to take a break right now. We need to go outside, we need to get some fresh air, even if it's just in your own backyard, and to just take a break. But I think the biggest thing is, like, to show that enthusiasm for learning and not to, I know you had a long day at work, and now you're homeschooling your kids, and, and some parents are having to relearn third grade math, common mm. core. I know my kids have told me, well, that's not the way my teacher does it. But, you know, we learned it different. So a lot of Googling and figuring out <laughs> common core math. <laughs> Patience, we all need it. <laughs> right. I think that's a really good point because I do think, um, you know, you talk about how, you know, dogs can smell your fear. The, your kids really are picking up on your vibe. And it's, that's a struggle for me, too, is, you know, everything, they're watching your reactions to things. They're watching how you approach things. And if you go in with the right attitude and with the right mindset, they are, they are looking to see how you feel about it so they know how they should maybe feel about it. Definitely. And then hear out their concerns. Talk to them. Say, is, are there any worries that you have about homeschooling? Is there something that I could do different? And also really reach out to their teachers if there's something that they're struggling in. I know a lot of teachers have um, those teacher hours, and I have a number of neighborhood mommies who are teachers, and they said only one parent would reach out to them during that one hour where they said, I'm available from 4 to 5, hop on Zoom, call me anytime, and parents wouldn't take advantage of that resource. But one thing I did is my kindergarten teacher for my five-year-old reached out to me and said, is there anything I could do to facilitate with Bronx's learning? Is there anything that you need me to do? And I said, he reads much better with you. Can you maybe hop on a Zoom call with him every Friday for 10 minutes and, and do like Starfall reading or something like that? And she was game for it. And let me tell you, he would practice reading like there's no tomorrow because he knew he was accountable to his teacher every Friday. And he had so much fun reading with her, and I feel like his reading really improved. So if your teacher offers you something, I would say don't try to do it all. Take them up on it. Sure. And advocate for what your child would benefit from. If it's that 10 minutes, you know, something small like that can really help. Yes, and I know parents get so busy on their own Zoom calls and they're sharing computers at home, but it really meant the world to my kids to be able to see their friends on Zoom. So it was like recess time, right? And sometimes my husband would say, like, can the kids not do recess today because I have to hop on this meeting? That we would talk about it and try to work out our schedules where every time the kids could hop on Zoom to see their friends, to play a game with their teacher, just keeping that connection going because this mm -hmm. year it's going to be harder than ever they're going to be going into a classroom where in many cases they don't know the teacher. Last year, the teacher knew them. This year may be a brand new teacher who doesn't know their style of learning. Every kid is different. Right. Yeah, that's a really good point, brand new teachers. And so that, that familiarity has to be rebuilt again and the trust rebuilt again. Definitely. I would say just keep in contact with that teacher and maybe have a weekly you know, meeting where they can see your kid face-to-face, -face, even if it's just for a couple of minutes to say, hello, how's your day going? I feel like kids really respond to their teachers. Now, before I have my listeners thinking you're just way too perfect, do you have any quarantine or homeschooling sales? Anything <laughs> that has not worked at all for you? 
Well, I can tell you that I think uh, many of us parents are really appreciating our teachers. It's a lot more challenging than I think <laughs> any of us ever imagined. So I really give kudos to teachers for being able to keep the attention of like, you know, sometimes 36 kids or more. It's not easy. It's, it's definitely not easy. We all have those days where we feel like complete failures and thinking like, oh, I hope I'm doing the right thing. I hope I'm teaching my kids correctly. You know, no mm -hmm. one can do it. We're not good at everything that we do, but I think there are subjects that we can delegate to our spouses or someone else in our life, our partners or our grandparents are maybe really good at math and maybe have them do a Zoom with the grandparents. I feel like don't try to do it all and really reach out to your neighbors uh, who may be able to help you with the subject. Sure, sure. I guess some of the teachers in my neighborhood, I heavily rely on them and say, this is what I'm going through with my child. How can I approach this subject different? And, and how can I you know, better teach them this subject? We don't know it all. And we definitely have to like seek resources and help out there. Right, right. Well, before I let you go, um, tell everybody where they can find uh, The Adventures of Mr. McCaw. Yes, The Adventures of Mr. McCaw is on Amazon. And you can also find it at Walmart. I just found out yesterday Walmart is Oh, wow. Yes, and um, Barnes & Noble as well. So that's really cool. I'm excited about that. If you want an autographed copy for your children, I can write a personalized note. That's on my website, cielitolindobooks.com. Okay. That means beautiful sky in Spanish. And something fun about that is we decided to create a Mr. McCaw kite with it. So you can also... Get the kite with the book and go on an adventure with your family. Our favorite place to fly our kite is the beach, but you can take it to the park and make those memories with your children. Get them off that technology. I know it's a challenge. Oh, you bet. Yes, absolutely. A good recess activity for sure. Leticia, thank you so much for your insight, and um, I very much admire what you're doing, especially when you technically don't have any free time, <laughs> and, um, and thank you for inspiring all of us to, to go for that, that goal that maybe we've been putting off a little bit, so that's really very cool you're doing that. Denise, thank you so much for having me. I can tell you that I sleep about four hours a night, and wear a lot oh. of concealer. Wear a lot of concealer. <laughs> <laughs> You have been listening to the WQAD Podcast Network.